Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. My name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here for those of you who I haven't met. Uh, and I've asked Coulter Batterton to teach with me this morning, uh, which is very exciting. It's his first time teaching. Uh, but Coulter is one of, yeah, we could cheer for that. Uh, Coulter is one of several people at the church who have felt called to plant a new church in Portland, Maine. Uh, and so over the next seven months, uh, we are really committed to raising up this team. Uh, to equipping them and encouraging them and giving them opportunities to uh, learn and grow before they're sent out to uh, plant a new church. And so over the next seven months, you'll see many of the main team members uh, teaching or co-teaching or hosting the gathering or serving in different capacities before they move a mere 3,000 miles away uh, to plant a new church. In the meantime... Uh, We are continuing in our series on practicing the way of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 4, verse 18, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, Each week in this series, we'll be unpacking a different practice from the life of Jesus that we can engage in that makes us more like Him. And this morning... Uh, We are taking on the practice of being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to be asking a number of questions as we go. Uh, What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, How do we go about being filled with the Spirit? Why was this practice or way of life so uh, important in the life of Jesus and his disciples? Uh, Those are the questions that we're going to be wrestling with this morning. And so we want to start by looking at the role that that the Spirit of God played in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, So, Coulter, why don't you get us started? Awesome. Well, hi, everyone. Um, As Matt said, my name is Coulter Batterton, um, and it's such a pleasure to jump into a topic um, as exciting as life in the Spirit. As always, when we want to grow in practicing the way of Jesus, the best way that we can go about that is by starting by looking at the life of Jesus and what he did. So the question which we're going to tackle first is what role did the Holy Spirit play in the life of Jesus? So let's take a look at Luke 4.18, which I think some of you have open. And this is after Jesus has been baptized and the Spirit has come upon him in a very unique way. Um, This is um, also after Jesus has been led out into the desert and is tempted, but he's also full of the Spirit. Um, And then finally, Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit to begin his ministry in Nazareth, where he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
What we see here is Jesus not only claiming to fulfill a prophecy out of Isaiah, but also declaring the role that the Spirit will play in his ministry. It should come as no surprise that the next several section headings you see in Luke um, are talking about exactly what Jesus just proclaimed. And they are as follows. I don't know if we have a slide, but Jesus heals a man with an unclean demon. Jesus heals many. Jesus preaches in the synagogues. And on and on it goes. In short, Jesus is empowered by the Spirit to complete the work which the Father has sent him to do. Perhaps the best summary sentence of what Jesus did while he was on earth is from Acts 10.38, which reads, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. What we see here is exactly what we saw in Luke, where God anoints and empowers Jesus with the Holy Spirit so that the kingdom of heaven can begin breaking in on earth. The centrality of the Spirit in the life of Jesus, his ministry, and the inbreaking of the kingdom cannot be overstated. Right. Thanks, Coulter. And, and not only is the Spirit, so we're just barely scratching the surface here. This is like the first few chapters uh, of the Gospel of Luke. But not only was the Spirit central to the life of Jesus and empowering Jesus to do the things that he did, the Spirit was actually central to discipleship as well. And I think there's a tendency in the Christian faith uh, to put Jesus in a separate category and say like, oh, well, yeah, he was... Like, I see that Jesus doing all of that stuff, but, like, he was God and man at the same time, right? Like, he, he was the Messiah. He was the eternal son of God. I'm not. I'm just a follower of Jesus who believes in him so I can go to heaven when I die. You know, and we, and we put this, this giant uh, kind of line of demarcation between, oh, well, that's Jesus and the stuff that he could do because of the uniqueness of who he was, and then there's me. But when you read through the Gospels, what, you, what you'll recognize is that the Holy Spirit isn't just a God-man thing. It's a discipleship thing. It's something you and I were meant to receive. Uh, and you see that in the life of Jesus. In fact, before we even meet Jesus, uh, John the Baptist says this in chapter 3. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. This is our introduction to who Jesus is and what he's going to do. He will baptize you, submerge you, fill you with the Spirit. And when you look at the life of the disciples, you see that the Holy Spirit was absolutely central to their discipleship. In Luke 9, uh, Jesus sends out his 12 kind of core disciples, and it says, He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, quick question, could they do any of that before? No, they, they were incapable of those things, but he gave them power and authority in the spirit to do them. With the spirit, they can. The spirit empowers them to heal the sick, 
to cast out demons. It's vital, Jesus says, even to witnessing about Jesus. You want to tell people about the kingdom of God? Well, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He empowers us for witness, which is an odd concept if you think about it. Uh, I come from a lawyer background, uh, and if you're in the courtroom or you're dealing with the law, the concept of a witness is actually a rather simple concept. A witness is somebody who has witnessed something, they've seen or experienced something, and then they're called into court to testify about that thing. So the basic requirements in our eyes for being a witness is that you've seen or experienced something, one, and you're willing to talk about it publicly, two. Okay, if you have those things, that's it. In our, by our standards, you are qualified to be a witness. Not so with God. The disciples saw Jesus crucified. Can you imagine being one of the few human beings in all of human history to actually see Jesus hanging on the cross, atoning for sin? They, they watched him die on the cross, and they saw all the events surrounding that. These disciples, they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Some of them insisted, I won't believe until I touch his hands, until I see the, the, the scar in his side. I, I need to know. They touched resurrected hands. They looked into his resurrected eyes. Was there anyone on earth more qualified to be witnesses than that group of 12? No. By our standards, absolutely, they're fully qualified. There will never be anyone in all of human history who is more qualified than them. But here's what Jesus says to them after his resurrection. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, here it is again, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do not leave. Wait. You're not ready yet. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And finally, he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In other words, you're not ready yet. You're not even ready to witness and tell other people about who I am and what God has done in and through me. Your discipleship isn't complete. First, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Then you will have what you need. Then you'll cast out demons, you'll heal the sick, you'll raise the dead, you'll proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit was central to their discipleship. Yeah, I mean, just think about the definition of discipleship that we've been using throughout this series. Discipleship means that we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he would do if 
he were you. If those three points are the focus of our discipleship, then it's the point of our lives. But notice how central the Holy Spirit is to each one of these. The first goal of our discipleship is to be with Jesus, and and Jesus says that he promises to be with us. The Gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus giving the Great Commission and telling his disciples what they're called to. If you look at the banner hanging up behind me, you'll see that Jesus ends this beautiful statement by saying, I will be with you to the end of the age. Now this poses the question, how is Jesus with us? Well, the answer is the same for Jesus and for his disciples as it was, as it is for us. Being filled with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. The moment that we accept Jesus into our hearts, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus is with us until the end of the age. Being with Jesus is the one out of these three ideas that requires very little from us initially and results in Jesus being with us right now, in this room, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Right, so if you were using that grid for discipleship, first off, you and I are to be with Jesus, right? We are to grow in our awareness of his presence. We are to enjoy life with him in the spirit. And next, we are to become like Jesus over time. Uh, And again, the Holy Spirit is absolutely central. I mean, just stop and think, what does it mean in your mind to become more like Jesus? Well, first, the first thing that comes to my mind is character. It's that our character is constantly being transformed into Christ. Uh, But it also means that we do the type of things that Jesus did, that we carry on his work in the world. People should see more and more of Jesus in you and me over the years as we follow after him. The further we get on that journey of discipleship, the more of Jesus they should see in us. And the Holy Spirit is actually vital in all of this. The Holy Spirit, we're told in Scripture, actually regenerates us from the inside out, transforming who we are. And when we're filled with the Spirit, the Scriptures say, we then bear the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, so that's the fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives. And that stuff, it doesn't come through grinding your teeth and and just trying to be a more moral person. Where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit. Scriptures say, no, that's actually the fruit of the Spirit who's dwelling in you. You want to be more like Jesus? You want to experience His joy? His peace, his patience, his love, well, that comes through the Spirit. And and so you can grind your teeth and try to do better on your own steam, or you can say, Lord, would you fill me with your Spirit today? And as the Spirit of Christ fills us, we actually become more like him. Think of it this way. 
Uh, if you wanted to become like Buddha, what would you do? Well, you would probably read his writings or things that were written about him. You would read about his life. You would practice his way. You would try to live life the way that he did. What if you want to become more like Jesus? Well, not only can you read these writings about his life, uh, not only can you begin to practice his way, his way of being human, but you can also receive his spirit as a living reality in your life. And, and in my mind, that's what places Christianity on a totally different plane from all other world religions. We, we not only get information about Jesus, we, we get to, to see his life in these pages, but we actually get to receive the spirit of Christ into our very beings. He dwells inside of us. He's deeper than our bones. And not only is that the key to giving us the character of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, empowering real life change, but it also empowers us to do the types of things that Jesus did, all of the things that we label supernatural. So it's a character thing, but it includes all of that other stuff as well. I can't witness effectively about the mysteries of the kingdom of God without the Spirit. I can't heal the sick. I can't raise the dead. I can't cast out demons. I can't do any of that stuff, but I've seen it all. It's not me. It's Christ dwelling in me who all of a sudden makes all of that stuff possible for us. You want to become more like Jesus, you can strive to do it on your own steam, but you won't get any of the supernatural and, and you'll get little to nothing out of the character change as well. So you can go that route. You can try and do it on your own. Or we can just come before God and say, Lord, give me more of your spirit. I'm, I'm ready. I want more of you. Yeah, and that brings us to the third goal of our discipleship, which is in that list that we pulled up earlier, which says um, to do what Jesus would do if he were you. Now, I know that anyone who's been around the church has heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? And if you were to look at those two phrases side by side, you would think that they're essentially the same idea. And while that's true in some sense, we're asking a much deeper and more personal question when we ask, what would Jesus do if he were me? In other words, what would Jesus do if he was your gender, race, had your socioeconomic status, was in your stage of life, or had your job? Well, first off, he would wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that his life could be in line with the Father, and then he would be a good employee. He would honor his father and mother. He would love his enemies and give generously and he would love his neighbor as himself. But he would also heal people from both emotional and physical afflictions. And he might even raise someone from the dead. Now I can hear some of you saying to yourself, well, that was Jesus, and he was God, and I'm not. 
In fact, Matt just touched on this point when he mentioned that the way we become like Jesus is by the empowering presence of God. The beauty in all of this is that Jesus didn't say, if you work really hard for 20 years, maybe you can do some of the things I did. What Jesus did say to his disciples was this, out of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So if you're sitting in your seat today and thinking, man, I wish I could heal someone, but I'm not Jesus, I would encourage you to meditate on what Jesus said. Jesus says that we will do greater things than him, and he healed the sick, raised the dead, and cast out demons. If Jesus has called us to be with him, become like him, and do what he would do if he were us, then our only option is to press into what the Holy Spirit has for us. Awesome. Thanks, Coulter. Uh, So everything that we've done up to this moment so far this morning is just to lay out a basic biblical framework for the importance of the Spirit, uh, the centrality of the Spirit to the life and ministry of Jesus, the centrality of the Spirit to uh, the original disciples and to our discipleship today, how vital the Holy Spirit is in our lives. We can't be with Jesus apart from the Spirit. We can't become like Jesus apart from the Spirit. And we certainly cannot do the types of things that Jesus would do if he were us apart from the Spirit. Uh, And so Paul says, kind of in light of all that, as you transition into the New Testament letters, Paul says very simply, be filled with the Spirit. Which uh, can actually be translated, go on being filled with the Spirit. Or uh, be filled with the Spirit continuously. Uh, And that's what we want to focus on for the remainder of the teaching this morning. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Uh, The Holy Spirit is God. But how do we go about receiving more of the Spirit as a practice or as a discipline that we can engage in? How do we go about being filled? And the remarkable thing is that the scriptures don't say. They don't tell us. You have hundreds of references to the Spirit, starting in verse 2 of your Bibles, right in the beginning, straight through, cover to cover, to the very last verses at the end. The Spirit is in there from start to finish. And yet... When it comes to being filled with the Spirit, we're, we're just told to be filled with the Spirit. Say, hey, seek the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. But we're not actually told how. Okay? Like, what do I do? I go home after the gathering. Well, I probably eat lunch on my way home or whatever. But after that, I, I go into my bedroom. I close the door. And then What? Like, what happens after that? Like, how do I actually go about being filled with the Spirit? And the Scriptures don't say. Which means that there's no magic words. 
There's no special formula. There's no special chant that you have to go through. Like there's, the, the scriptures don't lay any of that out. And yet, every single follower of Jesus is meant to be filled with the Spirit on, I think, a daily basis. Okay, so this is vital. It's central to life with God. And yet we're not told any of the mechanics of how this actually happens. And so there's a sense when you read the scriptures in which you just have to go for it, right? You just have to do it. So for me personally, uh, I always seek this in the morning, and I am not a morning person. Like there's probably been like two times in my life I've woken up and been excited about the fact that I was waking up. Like, I, I'm not a morning person. I really don't like mornings, and I'm not a coffee drinker, uh, which means that when I wake up in the morning, first off, I wish I wasn't awake, right? I have issues, okay? But I wish I wasn't awake. And the second thing is that I don't have any stimulants or anything to get me going, okay? Like, I, I'm just stuck in that, in that mode, in that feeling. Uh, and so what I typically do is somehow get myself out of bed, I hop in the shower or whatever, and I just clear my mind, and I ask as simply as I can, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? I have a whole day ahead of me. Right about now, I feel dead on the inside. I I feel like I need to be saved again, okay? And would you just fill me with your spirit for the days ahead? And as I ask that, very simply, every morning, there are some mornings in which I have a very profound experience with God, in which I almost have that sensation of like goosebumps, of like, whoa, like I, I sense the Spirit filling me. I sense God resting on me. Some days. Most days, I do not have a profound experience, okay? Most days, I get out of the shower or whatever and go to move on with my day and I feel about 20 to 30% better than I did before. I don't feel anything super spiritual. I just feel a little bit lighter, a little bit more focused on God, a little bit freer. And then I go about my day from there. So, so I personally like to seek, knock, ask, request, kind of first thing in the morning. Uh, Most days, I also carve out some amount of time for silence and solitude. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and that's another great avenue, regardless of the time of day, to kind of get before God and process your emotions and and open up your heart to Him. And usually during that time, I say, Lord, would you pastor me into your presence? I can't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm a sheep, you're the shepherd, like help me out here. I don't know what I'm doing. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Would, would you pastor me? And same thing on the Sabbath. Lord, this is a day of rest and worship. My heart is not starting out right. Would you just draw me into your presence? Would you fill me with your spirit? And the thing is, God is faithful. Like he's really, really faithful in this. He meets us. He gives us more of himself. He fills us with the spirit. Um, he didn't withhold He's one and only son. Do you think he's going to get stingy with his infinite spirit? I don't. Of course not. He loves to give his presence. And experience shows that if you ask for God's presence, if you ask for more of the spirit, he'll give it to you. 
he gives to those who ask. To the one who knocks, to the one who seeks, he will respond. From the day that you give your life to Jesus onward, from that first day, you always have some measure of the Spirit. There's always some measure of the Spirit in you. That's always true. But the other thing that's true is that there's always more. There's always more. No one sitting in this room today has arrived. None of us who are here today have received as much of God's Spirit as He is willing and eager to give. His, his willingness is much greater than, than our capacity to ask and receive. There's more that God wants to give you. And so we ask. We ask in everyday moments. We ask in our dry seasons. We ask on Wednesday mornings and Tuesday afternoons, and God is faithful. We ask in the everyday as an ongoing discipline, as an ongoing practice. We ask, we seek, we knock. And we also ask on extraordinary days, in unique times, in unique places, when the faith in the room is high, whether that's a Sunday gathering or a worship and prayer night or a a conference in South Africa or whatever it is, we ask in the unique times. And guess what? God is faithful in that as well. I don't have time this morning to share all the stories that I could share of, of those unique times, of those unique fillings, of those unique encounters uh, of those times when I felt like I was being baptized in the Spirit of God. I've had times where I've just been laid out on the floor, weeping uncontrollably, absolutely undone in the presence of God. I've had these moments of being baptized in the Spirit where I literally think, I didn't know there was this much of God's Spirit in, in the world. Like, I didn't know there was this much of God available to a human being this side of eternity. And, and so we, we ask and we seek and we knock in those extraordinary times, in those unique moments, and in our seasons of dryness, in our seasons of emotional numbness, in our seasons of depression, on our absolutely mundane, average days. We say, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit today? Yeah, if one of you were to come up to me um, and ask how I press into being filled with the Spirit, um, it's going to look a lot different than Matt's. We'll see some similarities because we're good friends and we've been doing ministry for a while, uh, but we're different. Um, Unlike Matt, I am a morning person and I love coffee. Um, Partly because God told Adam Eve to eat of everything in the garden and try to do what God says, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um. But all joking aside, I wake up early in the morning, make myself a cup of coffee, go into my room, and ask God to send his presence. No gimmicks, no flashing lights, just a simple prayer, good morning, God. Will you please send your presence to be with me as I start my day? And the beautiful thing about it is that he does it every single time. Now, I'll give a little disclaimer by saying I'm not 
caught up in the second heaven like John in Revelation every single morning. In fact, it's usually just a simple feeling of calm and peace that comes over me, allowing me to practice silence and solitude or read the scriptures. In the words of Frank Laubach from Practicing His Presence, I have done nothing but open the windows. God has done the rest. And I love that quote because it's really as simple as that. Open up the windows or open up your hands and God is going to do the rest. That would be the best way I could describe how I go about being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. But I'd also like to touch on what it looks like to be given a double portion of the presence of God, or, in other words, have a unique infilling of the Spirit. And the story which comes to mind would be um, when I was prayed over by Trevor Payne, and he's a friend from Regions Beyond who some of you have met, um, to receive a fresh filling of the Spirit as well as gifts of the Spirit, and I received the gift of tongues. Now, this experience was very different from the daily moments I have with God. Neither one is more important than the other, but this is a moment that I will remember for the rest of my life. Several years ago, a small group of people from River's Edge spoke on the role of tongues in their life, and I was one of them. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it from the Prayer and Prophecy series if you'd like to hear the full story. To summarize briefly what happened, I would only need to say that if every day I try to open up the windows of my soul, so to speak, um, in this particular moment, God blew the whole roof off. And I met and felt the, the tangible presence of God in a way I never have before. It was incredible. It felt as if fresh fire was pulsing through my body, allowing me to worship and connect with God like I never had. I now had a new way to pray and worship God on a daily basis that was rooted in being filled with the Spirit. This unique infilling of the Holy Spirit changed the entire direction of my life. I had originally planned on going into a legal career and with dreams of one day becoming a judge. And after this experience, I was totally fired up to do whatever God was calling me to, whether that was down the street or to the ends of the earth. In fact, this moment is what set me on the path um, to me going out um, to Portland, Maine to plant a church with some of my friends. Being filled and rooted in the Spirit, both on a daily and unique basis, allows us to prepare ourselves not only to hear from God when he speaks, but to respond in obedience to what he's calling each of us to. The daily practice of being filled with the Spirit prepares us for those unique moments where we're flooded and overwhelmed by the presence of God. Regardless of whether it's the daily practice or the unique infilling, a life of true discipleship is only possible through the Spirit. Awesome. Thanks, Coulter. Um, hey, why don't we just stand as we close together? Um, I'll invite the worship team back off, uh, back up. You can feel free to kind of clean off your, your laps. And um, I think it makes sense to end this. Um, this whole series is about um, kind of practices or habits um, that we can build in embracing the life of Jesus. And so everything we've been talking about this morning falls into this habit or practice of coming to knock, to seek, to ask. Uh, and I hope we've made it clear. I love that quote that Coulter shared at the end that our job as disciples 
is just to open doors and windows. Like that, that's what we do. There, we get so caught up in thinking, but like, Lord, I sinned this week and I've done this and I've done that and I'm new to this and whatever else and I, I'm not spiritual like everybody else and none of those things are true. Like none of that matters. Like all you do, your job as a disciple is to open doors and windows and say, Lord, here I am. I'm, I'm ready. If you open doors and windows, then the rest is, the rest is up to God. Um, so what I want to do as we close and head into worship is just kind of practice that. Obviously, this is something that we want you uh, to grow in your experience of day in and day out, asking, knowing sometimes you're going to feel something incredible and other times you won't, but every time matters, um, including this time right now. So I'm just going to kind of pray for us and we'll um, wait on the Lord a bit and just ask for more of Him. Um, sometimes we get really caught up in thinking, oh my gosh, like, the Holy Spirit, isn't that like some crazy Pentecostal thing? And like, oh, are we going to get weird now? And like all of this stuff. In reality, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? So when you say, I don't want any more of the Spirit, you're literally saying, I don't want more of God. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying, I do want more of the Spirit, you're just saying, I want more of God. I want more of Jesus. I want more of my Heavenly Father. Lord, come and have your way in this place. Let's pray. Jesus, we turn our hearts and our minds towards you now, Lord, in the simplest way we know how uh, we open doors to you. You say to your, to, to your disciples, say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, meaning you're already right there on our doorstep. You're already knocking. You're already looking for those who are willing to say yes to you and and to unlock the door and to open it up and say, come in, Jesus. Have your way. So that's how we come to you now, Lord, Uh, knowing that we're absolutely loved, we're absolutely accepted, we're absolutely forgiven, we're absolutely cleansed, that we come before you with the very righteousness of Christ. There's nothing now that can hold us back from your presence. Yeah, as I was preparing this teaching, one of the pictures that God kept bringing to mind was the temple in the scriptures. In the temple, there was a series of courts. There was the outer court for the Gentile believers to worship God. There was a series of inner courts for Jewish believers to worship God. There was a court for the priests where they could make sacrifices. And then there was the Holy of Holies, where, which only the high priest could enter once a year. And this was the place of God's manifest presence on earth. We're told that as Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the curtain that marked off the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. Meaning that everything that could hold us back from God and his manifest presence was done away with forever at the cross. We now gain access through the blood of Jesus into the Holy of Holies. And we can come into the very throne room But as God kept bringing this temple analogy to mind, 
just had the sense that many of us are content to sit in the outer courts. We're in the temple, and we're very grateful for what God has done to bring us into the temple, but we're not willing to step any further. Jesus is calling each of us to step boldly into the Holy of Holies and approach the presence of God with expectation. Now, I know that it can be scary to step in something that's unknown or something that you haven't done before. One of my favorite writers, Mark Buchanan, asks this question in one of his books, and he says, What's life like in the holy wild? It's life drunk deeply, lived to the hilt, where we walk with the God who is surprising, dangerous, and mysterious. Friends, God is calling us to step into that holy wild with him and drink deeply of his presence so that we can live the best life that this side of eternity can offer us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here. We want to drink deeply of you this morning as we seek you. We open those doors. We open those windows. Just sense the Lord wanting to say that his perfect love casts out fear. That we're, the irony is that as we step toward perfect love, we feel fear. Sometimes we want to run. Sometimes we want to close our hearts and, and, and turn our backs because it's safer. Jesus is saying, come, come deeper now. Come from the outer courts into one of the inner courts. Come deeper with me. Let me take you by the hand and bring you deeper into the presence of God. As, as I was praying over somebody at the end of last gathering, I found myself praying this really strange words. I just was praying over them that God had given them a song to sing. And I don't know if I've ever prayed that over somebody, but I just had that rushing back to mind that there's this sense in the room that as you're filled with the Spirit, as you're stirred with the Spirit, you'll have this impulse to sing a song, um, to, to sing out to God. Uh, and and that that's, that's beautiful, that's honoring to God. If you feel that thing stirring in your heart, you can pray out to him in that way. You can sing out to him in that way. Uh, the reality is that he's given each one of us a song to sing. Scriptures say when you come together, the Lord give, gives to each one a hymn, a song, a word of instruction. He gives you something in the spirit to be shared with others. So, Lord, we ask that you would stir that song in our hearts now, the song that only we can sing. Would you set that free this morning? Set it free in us, Lord. So as where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's not fear. There's not captivity. There's, we're no longer in the garden hiding from God as he searches from us. There's freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lord, would you uh, cause that song to, to rise up in each one of us now, to swell 
and grow on our hearts until we can't help but just begin singing that out to you.